Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Operation Finale, and I'm joined by two guys who've both already been on the podcast, uh, but were there with their girlfriends, and now they're just on on their own with me, and that's Fred Cobb and Adam Lichtenstein. Guys, how's it going? Pretty good. How you doing? Doing pretty good myself, too. How's it going, Josh? Good. Well, I mean... About as happy as I can be when we're at this uh, slow point in the movie year, as I said on my podcast last week. But I was excited that I actually had the idea to do this. Uh, one, because I've known both of you guys for like two years before I even started, two or three years before I started doing the movie movie podcasting thing. And I think you guys have known each other longer than that. But I never actually like shared a conversation with the three of us at one time. So I think that's pretty cool. And also, you guys are like pretty well versed in like history and like international things, like maybe even more so than me. So <laughs> even if like operation finale didn't become like a phenomenon that like a ton of people saw like i thought that you guys probably had interesting perspectives on it and i thought could maybe still have a good conversation even if like we're really in the doldrums of the movie calendar so yeah i'm glad that we worked it out to do this um i i'd assume both of you guys going into a movie like this when i should say operation finale is um the new movie that's starring uh oscar isaac and Nick Kroll, oddly enough, uh, Melanie Laurent, Haley Lou Richardson, Joe Alwyn, and Ben Sir Ben Kingsley, about the hunt for Adolf Eichmann, to, the one of the uh, Hitler's top lieutenants, to get him after he escaped to Argentina. And I'd assume both of you guys knew that Adolf Eichmann got caught, as we do with a lot of stuff about historical films. So, going into a movie like this, I guess what I wanted to ask you guys is. If you didn't know about a ton about the story, if you did, that's I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on the story were when you found out they were making it a movie. But um, I guess I'll start with you, Fred. Like um, I, one, like I said, I'm assuming you knew Eichmann got caught. So when you're going into a movie like this, what are you hoping to learn, and how did the movie satisfy those um, expectations? So I actually have a fairly decent understanding of Eichmann as a historical figure because among my many majors and minors in college, there's a history minor included in that. And my specialty was 20th century Europe. So I actually took some classes on Nazi Germany and specifically the history of the Holocaust. And Eichmann is kind of an interesting case because he is the criminal that is very famous for being executed for his crimes. But a lot of people don't really know what his exact role in the Holocaust was. Um, Eichmann is so famous, in fact, that he is illyric and we didn't start the fire. And that's how a lot of people know his name. Hmm. So I didn't really know a lot about what happened in Argentina, how they actually caught him, what the plan was that Mossad executed on the ground. But I did know that he was the guy who came up with a lot of the plans, how to execute the final solution. I did know that he fled from justice after World War II. And I did know that he was the first major Nazi criminal after the Nuremberg trials, who was actually executed in Israel for his crimes. So it's a really interesting story, and I was actually kind of surprised there hadn't really been a cinematic treatment of the subject before. So going into this, I was really excited to find out a little bit more and uh, see the entire thing play out. Uh, Adam, what was your context for this story going in? Uh, a lot like Fred's, actually. I also was a history minor, um, but I did more focus on like American history and stuff. But uh, yeah, similarly to Fred, like I knew about Eichmann. Like I'd heard him before. I heard his name before. I knew he was captured and that his uh, his trial was a big deal, but I didn't really know like what he did. I just knew he was a Nazi um, until actually about probably about seven or eight months ago when I read a book on the Holocaust. Uh, it's called The Holocaust. It's actually sitting about 15 feet away from me. 
uh, by it's just called The Holocaust by uh, Lawrence Rees. And it's a pretty detailed, you know, history of the lead up to the Holocaust and, you know, how it was executed and, you know, just a lot of it's a really great book. Actually, I highly recommend it. But it's like, you know, it mixes in like personal stories with, you know, the just general history of the Holocaust. And Eichmann was, you know, maybe a step below your, you know, your Goebbels or your Gehrings and, you know, those top guys. But he was like only one step below and he was really big into the uh, the logistical stuff, if I remember right. You know, he was the guy signing the orders for for trains, you know, to go from here to there, you know, go from this ghetto to, you know, this camp and that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I came into the movie knowing probably more than your average person about Eichmann, but not that much more. Just, I mean, I had an idea of what he did, but I didn't know anything really about how his capture went down or, you know, any of the, you know, craziness that was portrayed in the movie. Gotcha. No, and I, I guess I'm kind of the same way, or I probably, like I said, maybe even knew a little bit less than you guys about his role, but like, I, I guess I knew they found him in Argentina, and that's all I knew, and I didn't really know anything else about how the actual, how it actually came about. So, uh, what was your initial takeaway from the movie? I'll, I'll go back to Fred then about just uh, how how it was able to entertain you in telling the story, even if you maybe knew what the ultimate result was going to be. I'm going to preface what I'm about to say. Um by saying that I actually was fairly entertained and I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, and the reason why I feel like I need to say this now is because I'm going to say a lot of very negative things <laughs> over the next couple of minutes. So Go for it. Go for it. Go that. for it. Bring it. Bring so, it. So the comparison that I kept making afterwards and I also wrote about it in my letterbox review is um, the film Munich. Because it actually shares some interesting parallels, right? You have a really vicious, brutal crime committed against... Jewish people, and Mossad sends a team of well-trained agents after the targets to take them out. Um, in Munich, they actually straight up murdered them. Um, in Operation Finale, they were more interested in capturing Eichmann and bringing him to justice that way. Um, but the parallels are obvious, and the problem is, of course, that Steven Spielberg is Steven Spielberg, and this movie is directed by a guy named Chris Weitz, who has some pretty interesting stuff on his resume, including um, the adaptation of The Golden Compass, actually. Um, but he's just not quite in the same league. And the guy who wrote the script, Matthew Orton, um, I don't think he really understands how to make a compelling historical thriller, hmm. which is unfortunate because there was a lot of tension and a lot of interesting subplots being built up in the beginning. But once they capture Eichmann, which is surprisingly early in the story... I think the movie just kind of paints itself into a corner because at that point it just becomes a lot of talking about him signing a document, which really isn't necessarily the most interesting goal for them to have. And they also have to wait for a plane to take them out of Argentina. And I just never really felt that there was a palpable sense of danger of them getting caught because the guys who were after them really didn't have a whole lot of information to go on. And by the time they had a decent idea of what had happened, um, it was really already too late to stop them. So I think it was really interesting in terms of a documentary perspective about what happened exactly. But the way it was executed just wasn't really a story well told. And I thought that was incredibly regrettable, giving, given the um, quite compelling subject um, of the story. Adam, I'm going to go to you in a second, but I, I got to respond to Fred first because he actually had, has a weird, weirdly inverse opinion of what I do. But we kind of have a similar overall opinion in that. I don't think the story focused on some of the most interesting stuff, 
but I think I found different things potentially more interesting than you in that like I didn't necessarily need a ton of suspense with that airplane scene because it really felt like a, just a ripoff of the end of Argo, which I already knew like going into Argo, like those people get out, but like, and I, then I knew after the fact from watching Argo, like they really altered the events of this to make it seem a lot closer to the plane not getting out than it actually was and i just was like assuming it was probably the same thing here but i actually like was kind of intrigued i could have spent more time with him signing that piece of paper because like to me that was actually like a really big thing and like why like it seemed like he probably had to have known that there were probably going to be people coming to try and find him and like why would this guy sign like sign on to just go to, go to trial in Israel where he kind of knew he'd be signing away his death sentence and i thought those scenes with him and oscar isaac were pretty good even if i have some other problems with the performances overall that i want to get to and it's like i get that he needed to appeal to his ego and like try and make him understand They're like oh man yeah i get it i get that you're just a cog in the machine and like that i know you're i know you probably actually genuinely do feel bad about stuff and i kind of got that but i almost felt like you could have spent even more time in those scenes and built even more tension and then after the fact after that like like i was saying like yeah i kind of didn't need to know that the i kind of knew the plane was going to get away but there's actually some more stakes in just the sacrifices that had to be made in talking about whether or not, hey, was this the whole thing worth it? Because we might know what happens to Eichmann, but I, we don't really know what happens to the members of those team, that team. I don't think any of us do. So the fact that so many of them don't end up getting on the plane is actually kind of interesting. But then we jump forward a couple of years at the end, and then they've all gotten out okay. And I just yeah, but I actually had a serious problem with that because the whole ending is kind of painted in the way that – can I – Talk a little bit about spoilers, or is that going to be an issue? I think, like I said, I, I, we already talked about the end. People already kind of know that, like, the story. Okay. So go for it. So initially, it seems like Peter is making this incredibly big sacrifice by getting off right. the plane and delivering the flight manifest. But I thought that there would actually be real consequences to that. It just kind of seems like he hands in the paperwork, they fly away, and then he just kind of catches the next plane. And <laughs> I, I think that's kind of a weird payoff, right? I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe he's going to get captured. Maybe he's going to get tortured. I mean, I'm glad he didn't. Don't get me wrong. Because he's a historical figure, and I would have really hated that. That's a hero. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a great guy. But <laughs> the issue, of course, is that as a viewer, I was thinking there were real stakes, and then those weren't paid off. And I thought that was kind of unfortunate. But, but it is a true story. So it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if like, they should have just maybe like just severely altered. You can't have a three-hour movie, but I don't know if you like, severely shift the balance of the film and focus on like you being in suspense as to how these guys get out of Argentina. But maybe it simply is like, he just got the next flight. Maybe it is that simple. I don't know. Uh, Adam, did you feel like, was there a point at which you felt the movie did have a lot of stakes that you were, were really invested in? Yeah, I actually, I kind of agree with you more than Fred, Josh. Um, because I, I found the scenes with, uh, with Oscar Isaac and Ben Kingsley, like really compelling. Like I, I, like you said, like I, we know he, you know, they get him to Israel. We know he goes on trial and that they succeed. So I really enjoyed this entire, the entire time they're in the safe house and, you know, they're just talking and he's trying to get, you know, get Eichmann to, to sign away his, like you said, sign away his life. You know, how do you get someone to do that? And how does someone try to get out of that situation? So I, that's the part of the movie I really, I probably enjoyed the most. Actually, you know what I do? And I want to back up and talk about for a minute because we kind of jumped to the end because that, that was like where I was able to build off of Fred's point. But I think one other thing that the movie really could have just gone way more in on that is something that I didn't know anything about. Oh, well, I knew actually that 
like Argentina was a bit of a haven for some of the Nazis that did get out. Like I knew that that was a place that where they all went, and that's evident in the movie where you see the where you see the meeting, and you, it's clear that there are a lot of them around there. But I, yeah, would, that, I, meeting, I that was a great scene. I, that was a great scene. It was like legit. I found that like le- like legitimately chilling. Yeah, and kind of reminiscent of uh, what Black Klansman did a couple of weeks ago. Oh, oh don't spoil it for me. I didn't see it. Oh, just I, I didn't want to go into detail, but I thought there were a lot of similarities between those scenes. But then, unfortunately, I think that whole element is kind of dropped. Yeah, and I guess I just want to know how that worked in in practice. I mean, like I, like I said, I knew a lot of Nazis ended up there, but I didn't exactly understand how, especially because they make it clear later in the movie that there is a not insignificant Jewish population there as well. So what made Argentina like so receptive to even taking them in in the first place? And how is that community allowed to seemingly thrive as they do in the movie? And uh, and I, I guess I was just rolling my eyes a lot during that last act, like I said, because it just felt like an, a, like a total like uh, it just felt like a, a bizarro Argo or something like that or just like a different version of that. And it's like I, I get where this is going. I could I feel like th- these minutes could have been spent on something that I just would have where I would have learned something. And I think learning the landscape of just like Buenos Aires in, in that time and just like how it was able to feel almost be like a Nazi incubator. It seems like they're almost on the rise at that meeting, which is why it's so scary to to the Haley Lou Richardson character. Um, and Okay, here's one thing I actually wanted to ask you guys because I was just reading a review before we got on the podcast. He, at, at that first dinner where uh, she takes Claus to dinner with her dad, uh, he he brings up that he's related to Eichmann at the dinner, right? He mentioned something. Or, 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 or is it something just about an uncle? Where he's like, my uh, uncle is someone important. Like, I, I could, yeah. Because I was reading, a, I was reading a, a a review that was like, oh, he, he's smart enough to not say it, but I thought he strongly hinted at it, and that was how like. Word got back to them because uh, her dad was a, a contact for Mossad. Yeah, and on like on like their second date, he's like, "Yeah, my name's Klaus Eichmann. You know Eichmann, like the famous Nazi. That's like yeah. my uncle." Yeah, and I think maybe I don't remember the scene exactly, but I think the scene actually cuts away before Klaus gets a chance to answer because he talks about his uncle, but doesn't tell um, the blind father. Um, Okay, so his he, uncle's he, name. He, but then, he, but then again, he mentions his father died in the war, and okay. uh, the blind guy asks, "So, what was your father's name?" And then the scene cuts away. So, yeah, so maybe, it almost it almost because, implied that he said it. Maybe, yeah, yeah, because I think people assumed, and I'm not sure if I'm um, jumping to conclusions here, but I think people assumed Eichmann died in the war, that he might have been killed after World War II, and nobody actually realized the guy was still alive and in hiding. Gotcha. So maybe you could safely tell that. He, Otto yeah. Eichmann was his father because everybody assumed the guy had died decades ago. Right. I forgot. I just forgot exactly what was reeled in that scene and what I read in the review kind of um, uh, threw me off a minute. And and I, I think I was all and, and there might have been a title card before they got there. And that was one of my other things. Where I thought just the setup for the movie was a little clunky just in the beginning. And I, I might have missed a title card where it was like said Buenos Aires 1960. And maybe it did that. But it shows them at that movie theater and they're watching an English language movie. And Hillary Richardson's not talking with any kind of accent, even though I guess she's supposed to be part German. And or Sylvia, if you guys, I don't know if you guys know the actress's name or not. Her name, the character's name, Sylvia. And 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 so I, I almost thought they were in America for some reason. I got, I got it in my head they might have been in New Jersey, and the guy was still. Just, and I was like, wait, is this whole meeting going on in New Jersey? Because like I, it wasn't totally clear because you were only seeing people talk in English. And I don't know if this movie they wanted to have recognizable stars. So, but it was almost like. 
I, I almost would have, like, dug this movie a little more if you just, like, had actors cast from every country in which they were supposed to be and you just went full-out subtitles because I was almost a little thrown off both by the beginning of the Argentina scenes but also by the Israel scenes. Like, I, I figured out that it was Mossad, but it is a little weird when you just have Nick Kroll there, who I actually thought, all things considered, gave a pretty good performance. Like, and he actually did, did in Loving also, the movie last year about the Loving v. Virginia. He was played one of the civil rights lawyers in that, like— Good on you, Nick Kroll, for like actually having that kind of range as an actor. But it's a little bizarre where it's like this guy is talking like Nick Kroll and he's a Mossad agent. And it was like throwing me off for a second where you're having all these different people that sound like different things. And I'm like, wait, like they are in Israel, right? Like what, what, what is this uh, group? Because they didn't actually call them by the name Mossad for the first however. I, I don't even know if you hear the word Mossad in the whole movie. But like you figure out that it's Mossad. And I was just like – I had to catch – it took me about 15 minutes to totally get my bearings as to where everyone was. I don't know if you guys had that experience too or you might have just totally gotten it a little more than me. But that was like one of my things where I just thought like it took, the, it took me a little bit to figure out what exactly all the parties involved were and where they were located. Yeah, I'm not – I don't really honestly recall much of the beginning of the movie because like I said, I really enjoyed the, the middle and later parts a lot more. <laughs> the beginning is kind of forget, like, it's kind of forgettable like – I just don't really remember. I don't really remember the conversation between, you know, Klaus Eichmann and, you know, and the the Jewish, uh, you know, father. I don't remember that scene at all, really. Um, But, yeah, I I don't think I really had that problem. Maybe it's just because, like, I I knew the setting going in. I knew Eichmann's in Argentina. I know that Mossad's going to go get him. Like, so I just kind of – I didn't really need the cue, I guess. Gotcha. No, I gotcha. I actually actually kind of disagree with what Adam was saying about that I – about the beginning uh, not being as interesting as the middle parts. Because I want to be clear, I actually really enjoyed the conversations between Eichmann and uh, Peter was his name, right? Peter Malkin, yes. Oscar Isaac's character. Yes, yes. I keep thinking of him as Peter Mellark for some reason. But um, <laughs> this is a, yeah. that'd be a very that's a very different podcast, very, very different games. movie, right? But um, so I did enjoy those conversations, and I think um, both of them are very good actors, and they were really able to make the scenes compelling. But I also thought because. Eichmann was captured so early and they kept focusing on their conversations that a lot of the relatively interesting subplots they were building up in the beginning, um, like the relationship between Klaus and Sylvia, like the fact that the Nazis were trying to organize themselves again in Argentina, um, a lot of those just kind of fizzle out at that point and they don't really return to them. Well, I don't, and, everything I, I, just fo- I, <laughs> and everything just focuses on the two of them talking. And I think that's kind of regrettable because you could have told a more... Um, I think, holistic story as opposed to just the two of them being in the room together. Well, I don't blame Sylvia for letting the thing with Klaus fizzle out. (laughs) But I I also think they um, dropped the bomb a bit too early, right? I think maybe they could have kept using her um, to get more information. I I don't know. It was was also a little confusing how how aware she was of her Jewish heritage. It was a little unclear as to what she knew about that and when. Because at first it seems like she is a little unaware, and then she's it's like brought to her attention a little more, and then she's like extra afraid at the meeting. So that 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 was that could have been like she's like she is one of my favorite young actresses. It was a little bit like I said, a little bizarre that like I she's speaking in like regular American accent, and I don't think she's supposed to be American. But like it would have been interesting to like see her have to deal with that and just come to grips with like she is part German and figuring all this out. But then the guy she likes, like there definitely could have been more there, and like it doesn't have to a hundred percent be exactly as it actually happened if they actually knew that you could have fudged that a little bit to make it a compelling story and that's where i think i i I see what you're saying fred also also i'm not saying it's as good but the scene at like the nazi banquet kind of reminded me of the scene with uh hans landa uh in inglorious bastards in the restaurant where he's talking to um what's her name in inglorious bastards oh shoshana shoshana yeah right same actress that's in this movie yep Really? Yeah, Melanie, I mean, yeah, Melanie, Melanie she, Lawrence. She, yeah. She's the one that plays Hannah in this, oh. yeah. 
did, did not even click, but... But no, I, 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 yeah, I kind of I kind of get what you're saying there, where someone's just like, I mean, well, except in that one, like, as soon as he shows up in Inglorious Bastards, like, she knows who he is, whereas here... Well, yeah. She, yeah, I, I get yeah. what you're saying, though. You, you, you even said it's not it's the exact same thing, but it's like, she is slowly, like, coming to the realization, like, now, this is, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just love, like... Oh, it's like our third date. I'm gonna take you to a uh, a Nazi <laughs> uh, banquet. He really knows how to show a lady a good time, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> what are you not having fun? Yeah, let me introduce you to my good friends over there. Right? <laughs> These are the people I hang out with on a regular basis. But yeah, I, I do I, I do go get, get what you're saying too about how like they caught him really fast, um, and it felt like it almost like zoomed through like just getting to the point where they actually were in the position to catch him and. I, I guess, like, the hardest part might have just been verifying the identity to, like, make the decision to go after him because, like, once they once they did that, I guess, like, it's not that hard just to, like, mug a guy that walks by himself to a bus. So maybe it wasn't, like, the most intricate plot that they had to go into. But it was an interesting way to kind of, like, pace the movie, if you will. Yeah, they also kind of went for the red herring there, right, where he doesn't initially arrive with the bus mm-hmm. because they keep checking his um, – daily itinerary and they realize he always takes the same bus to work he always takes the same bus back from work and then he's not on the bus so i thought oh wait a minute maybe they actually made a mistake Tip, maybe off, he yeah. caught on and maybe the guy went to another house for the night and that's going to especially, especially how, how dumb was that one guy just like stood there and stared at him and took a picture and then he was able to sketch him i mean who knows if that's what actually happened i was like come on man yeah. you're just gonna like let him look at you yeah a, a highly trained Mossad agent right right that was a little very strange, right? Um, so it was kind of surprising to me that given all of that, they didn't encounter more obstacles to capturing him. But yeah, I guess maybe they were more interested in telling the story um, of how he actually um, agreed to be extradited to Israel as opposed to the story of how he was captured. And I, I guess the, and I, while I said maybe some of the suspense had been taken out, of, taken out of the movie for me after that because, like I said, I knew he was getting back, I will say one thing that did work for me, even if I am fairly like uh, mad to negative on the movie as a whole, was that, like I said, I said earlier, like we didn't know the fate of a lot of these guys. And even if, like you said, maybe there ultimately wasn't a lot of cost because it seems all the ones that didn't get on the plane got on the next one, it was – and maybe this is what you were getting at, Fred, when you made that preface at the beginning of the podcast was that – I thought the most suspenseful part of it, when you think about it as a whole, is just at least when you're in it for the first time, you don't exactly know how this story goes. Is that mm-hmm. it does seem like because all these people that Klaus is leading on the hunt are kind of closing in on them the whole time. Like I'm almost assuming maybe someone's going to get caught in the crossfire. So it does kind of have that hanging over your head the whole time, where you have these other guys barging in, just being like, why? Like because they've all kind of been affected by the Holocaust in some way. Like most of the people on the team. So a lot of them are just like, why can't we just take them out now? And I don't, I don't. Maybe the movie could have almost talked about that more as to why it meant that so much for them to actually have a trial in Israel, because obviously Nuremberg trials were not in Israel. And because I mean, hey, like a lot of people watching this in America might be like, yeah, why didn't they just like take the Bin Laden approach and do like dead or alive? Like, who cares as long as they get the guy? So it's like you're kind of constantly thinking throughout the movie, are they going to lose a life over this just so they can bring the guy back when they could have easily just taken him out and taken a picture of him and had proof? You know, and I kind of I, I did enjoy thinking about that. About hey, is this actually worth all this trouble? Because I knew that they got him back, but like I'm watching it, thinking like maybe they got him back at the cost of some of their own people, just so they could have a trial where that was inevitably going to have a result that would have been the same if they put a bullet in his head in Argentina. And I guess well, I, what, I I enjoyed thinking about that. What I didn't know uh, going in, and they kind of touch on this, you know, during the trial part, at the end of the movie, 
is that uh, the Eichmann trial was like, first of all, it was a huge deal. It was, they literally uh, would fly, they'd record the trial in Israel and they'd fly the tapes, you know, all around the world and they'd play the high, like the highlights of the trial the next day on the news yeah, around like, the world. It was like the OJ trial, like 35 years before OJ. <laughs> yeah, and, but not just that. It was also the first time that like a lot of the world saw what happened in the Holocaust. Like it wasn't just like, here's this one person you know, who's put on trial for, for doing, you know, genocide. It was also like, and it was also a chance to show the world. No, like you may have heard that something bad happened. You may have heard that a lot of Jewish people got killed, but like, no, it was really bad. And, you know, here's the evidence. That's a good it. point. Have you, have you ever guys been to like the Holocaust museum in DC? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think maybe some of us take that for granted then. I hadn't even thought of that until you just put it like that, Adam, because, I mean, I've seen that. Actually, I, 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 I was there in fourth grade before I was, like, tall enough to see over the barriers that they have over some of the really sensitive stuff there. But I think I'd seen it just in other um, film, like other clips and stuff, but it's actually pretty jarring to see it at that museum. But it's like some of us might take that for granted because it's like we've been to museums of there's, – there's more than one Holocaust museum out there, and you can see a lot of that footage online too probably. But so like, – but like – at that point, they might not have actually like put together most. I, I don't think the I think the Holocaust Museum is relatively new in DC. What well, definitely wasn't around 1960. So, I mean, I'm assuming. I mean, I don't know. Like you said, a lot of people saw it. I'm guessing they might have played some of that graphic footage on TV. So, uh, yeah, that's that's actually pretty interesting. I mean, again, like we know how the trial turned out, but that is like a that's a different thing right there that like almost seems like they could have made, if they had made this thing like a six episode miniseries, like a whole episode could have been the trial or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and another aspect that, you know, I, I kind of thought of uh, a little while ago when Fred was talking about Munich, um, this wasn't explicitly mentioned in the movie, but it kind of sp- feels like an underlying theme to me is that, you know, the history, uh, you know, you look at like stereotypes about Jewish people and it's a lot of, okay, bookish and, you know, weak and meek and that's kind of a stereotype about jewish people not good athletes and whatever uh hey, speak but, for yourself fact, man yeah well, i know should I know. have seen me on my like uh, uh sophomore year playing intramural softball <laughs> well i'm sorry how could i forget um but but the thing is though is that um after the holocaust after the state of israel was founded uh israel basically launched a whole campaign uh, about the quote-unquote new jew the new jew who was strong and stood up for himself and was going to turn this place in the middle of the desert into a, you know, a fertile, you know, paradise, you know, the Jewish state. And I feel like a lot of that stuff kind of plays into that, whether it's, we're not going to just let, you know, one of the perpetrators of, you know, the worst crime against the Jewish people in history, just, you know, chill in Argentina. We're not going to let, you know, these terrorists who killed a bunch of our athletes just go. We're not going to just let that happen. Like, we're going to have to track them now. It's our duty to find them and, and bring them to justice somehow. Well, there's actually an interesting... I also think there's, uh, go ahead, Frank. I also think there's a certain timeliness to that, too, because I'm sure you read about this. A couple of weeks ago, they actually extradited some guy from the United States back to Germany, this 95-year-old yeah. dude who... Um, I'm not even sure what exactly his role would have been at the time. He probably was 18 or 20. But, yeah, the Eichmann trial set a very serious precedent that, as Adam was saying, these people are not just going to be able to go into hiding. Um, we're not going to... Um, let these crimes just go unpunished because the crimes were so horrific and we want to make sure that people will remember going forward that we will not allow them to be committed again, that even now, 
when they're in their 80s, their 90s, they're still spending money, time, and resources on getting these guys the punishment they deserve. And I think the Eichmann trial was kind of the first time where that was really made clear to the world that this was going to be something they would continue to do. Well, I think, well, it's funny, Adam, you made the comment about not remembering the first, like, part of the movie. And I I guess I, I, I thought I remembered it. And I just, for the first time since we've been on the recording, remembered how, like, they were showing how, like, that was something that they had been doing before Eichmann, where, like, but Oscar Isaac, like, killed the wrong guy in uh in in one of the, one of his prior trips and it's implied that like because of that he was like almost put on the sideline for a while within Mossad before he got like recommissioned to make the trip for Eichmann but like that was another, that was another inglorious bastards vibe where he's like like you killed the wrong guy and he's like hey he's a Nazi he deserved it right and but and but then it, but also like as like you're saying it did set this precedent but there was a discussion about that at the before like the team actually got but they got the band together, for lack of a better term, in this movie, where like someone does bring the information about Eichmann to one of the people at Mossad that has the authority to give the mission a green light, and he's like, "Eh, whatever." Like we're we're focused on like people that are going to be threats to us now, and not someone that's all the way over there. And the guy that he eventually gets talked into it because it'd be like it'd be a pretty bad PR look for Mossad if it got out that like they could have they had verifiably good intel on Eichmann, or like, "Eh." Whatever, like that would have been a bad look. But like their first instinct was to be like, be like, let's not be interventionalist in this way and not like go stir something up. Let's focus more on just like protecting our border. We've only been the state of Israel's only been around for twelve years at that point. Something we haven't really spoken about yet. We've spoken a lot of the context and the backstory, but um, the two performances that take center stage here, Oscar Isaac and Ben Kingsley. Um, how do you feel they did portraying those roles? Because they're both very well known actors. Ben Kingsley. Obviously, hasn't really been in his prime for a while. He's taken a lot of not exactly ideal roles for his career, even though he does pretty solid stuff from time to time. He was in Shutter Island. He did Hugo, both of which I really liked. And obviously, Oscar Isaac is one of the really big, hot rising stars in Hollywood right now. Um, so how do you think they managed to um, play um, this material? I, I, re- I really don't have a whole lot to say. I just I thought they both did a pretty good job. I mean... Do I think either of them are going to, you know, win an Oscar for it? Probably not. But I thought it was just, you know, saw a solid performance from both of them. And from Nick Kroll, like like Josh mentioned earlier, I, I like Nick Kroll in this. Yeah, I, I guess that I actually, like, enjoyed Nick Kroll being able to find some uh, humanity, like, and actually not just seem like Nick, Nick Kroll, like, even if he was talking in his own voice, which was distracting to me for other reasons. But as far as the, as far as the two main guys, like, I... Like, I enjoyed it, and that's why I said I could have even had more of those scenes with them just talking about him actually, like, signing that piece of paper. And, I mean, that's the, that's the perverse thing about these movies is it's like – and, I mean, some people might say – like, I, one of the reviews I did read said that, like, it was almost afraid to, like, make you feel any empathy for a Nazi because, like, why do Nazis deserve our empathy or anything like that? Or why should we portray them as being empathetic at all? And – or, excuse me, sympathetic. But uh, I – I don't know. Like I, I kind of like it, it where the movie even came as close to doing that as it did. Cause I guess there were a few moments where maybe I came slightly close to being like, Oh, like maybe this guy has a shred of humanity and that I'm starting to recognize. And it does pull back and it like becomes evident that like, he's like not a good guy throughout. But like the fact that he made me even think about that at times was impressive. And again, yeah, like you said, Ben Kingsley hasn't really done a ton uh, lately, but I mean, as far as like Oscar Isaac, he's actually a producer on this movie, so I think it was kind of like a, one of the bi- first big things. And it's, I mean, a movie with a twenty-five million dollar budget, it seemed like one of the first times he was actually kind of using some of his Star Wars cachet to do something pretty big. And I mean, while 
Star Wars Last Jedi is like a big movie. Like he actually hasn't had like the best like few years since he broke on the scene in 2014. Aside from like being in those two Star Wars movies, like he's had a lot of movies that have missed. I mean, he was a small part of Annihilation, which was pretty well received. But this movie that he's in right now with Olivia Wilde, Life itself is getting like really bad reviews at the festivals it's playing at. And Operation Finale, not great either. Suburbicon last year, like a lot of people said he was the best part of it, but like that was movie was a big flop. He did that movie with Christian Bale called The Promise, which, like, no one saw. So, I mean, I, I didn't see a lot of those movies because, like, everyone said they were so bad. But, like, he is one – I do think he is one of my favorite actors, like, when he's doing stuff. And, like, I, I definitely thought it was a really good performance where you could see how tortured he was by how he had been affected by the Holocaust. And like, But it was still interesting to see this guy want to play those notes and, like, really actually – put on this performance because he is really putting on a performance when he is around Eichmann. And I, I don't know. I thought it, I thought it had to hit some interesting notes and I, I really appreciate it. I got him said, not going to win any Oscars. I, I do think Oscar Isaac has an Oscar in his future someday, but this isn't going to be it. But like, I thought that's part of what saved the movie for me to the extent that I still found the movie to have redeeming qualities because I like those scenes with the two of them. Mm-hmm. And, and you were like, Oh, sorry. Adam. No, go ahead. Oh, I find it interesting what you said about Eichmann, too, because you said that there were moments where he might have been sympathetic and um, Peter Malkin might have been actually able to um, kind of get a sense of that. I think it's interesting that Eichmann doesn't really have a big vitriolic rant in this movie where he talks about um, his ideology, about how much he hates the Jews, because I don't think he was that kind of person. A lot of Nazis that we tend to see in these movies have internalized Mein Kampf to the point where they will keep shouting these like venomous tirades. Especially then I, when you see Klaus, and Klaus seems to like be more of that vein of Nazi, almost more so than Eichmann. Yeah, but see, that's, I, that's, the, that's the thing about Eichmann, though, is that he was portrayed— like I, I never read Eichmann in Jerusalem. I plan on it eventually now because I was interested by the story. But um, the whole thing about him was that, okay, he's just basically a pencil pusher. He's the guy who signed the orders, you know? So is he a fanatic? Is he is he like that, that that spitting fanatical evil, or is he just like I they they coined the phrase the banality of evil, you know, or is he just some guy? He's an opportunist. I mean, he struck me as the sort of guy who would do anything to advance his career to survive, and he essentially um, thought, well, I'm not actually the one firing the guns. I'm just the one, as you were saying, I signed the orders. And as a result, I'm not directly responsible. For some reason, I kind of picture, um, and this is kind of morbid to think about it that way, but the big conference where this was discussed was the Wannsee conference, um, where they essentially planned out the final solution. I picture him as the guy who, if this would happen today, would stand in front of the room and give the PowerPoint presentation. He would be the guy who would explain exactly how this is going to be accomplished, how we're going to transport them, how this is going to be built up. And that's kind of terrifying to think about because the guy was able to completely detach himself from any sort of emotional connection to this and just meticulously and ruthlessly uh, carry out the plan. And I think that makes him a far more interesting character almost than your typical ideologue. All right. In, 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 in that, like... that's, what, that's what kind of makes the Holocaust like so horrific and one of the reasons why it's so, you know, uh, it's become such a large part of history and 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 culture and that it's such a big deal is that it wasn't just like some orgy of violence like you had the rwandan genocide which was incredibly terrible you know a hundred or a million people killed in a hundred days just this mass killing whereas the holocaust was it had the whole 
backing of a, of a modern state where it's like it was planned out and methodical and they thought this method's more efficient and we'll do it this way because it's easier on our soldiers. And, you know, it was very – it was methodical. It was the only word for it, and that's what makes it so – Horrifying. Well, and I guess also because Eichmann's job, like you said, was large, sometime in, in some part logistical just to like make the gears run in that way. He probably was able to delude himself into thinking like, hey, maybe I'm not that bad of a guy. And with few exceptions, like yeah, oftentimes – at one point, right? Like I tried to save you guys. I tried to get you all to go to Madagascar. Yeah. That's like he thought you were so, such, so benevolent of him. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I and mean, people like have talked about that with Eichmann. I, I looked – I read Eichmann's Wikipedia page after I saw the movie. Uh, and it was like this idea, you know, who is the real Eichmann? Because you have that whole, like, the paper pusher, the I just signed the orders, I didn't actually really do anything. But there's also a, a quote from him from, like, 1945 that was attributed to him where it was like, you know, I'll jump into my grave laughing because I have five million souls on my conscience and I'm happy about that, basically. So, huh. you know, the portrayal of Eichmann as just, like, a paper pusher has been kind of like... Uh, it's become con- controversial. It's not just like a. It's that was how he was portrayed, like during his trial. That was the, you know, the that's how Eichmann is in how he's seen. But whether or not that's actually 100 percent true is up for debate. Yeah, and regardless of my other misgivings about the movie, I think just like that, that having that be the figure makes it somewhat interesting. With with few exceptions, like usually the most interesting villains are the ones that like don't actually necessarily see themselves that way, um, and. I think that just thinking about that and then watching the cat and mouse game he has to play with Peter, that that even if I wish so many of the other priorities that the movie had had been different, something like that still makes it like a worthwhile watch. Like I didn't like leave it like being really angry. I spent two hours of my time with them with the movie because I thought I got something out of it. But that's kind of where I'm at on this movie. It's like I I'm like while I'm fairly mad, at least I can say that like it was a good performance from those guys, and we got to think about like this guy trying to justify his like own choices that he's made and trying to prove his own like moral fiber and that's somewhat that's interesting even if like i think there are so many other interesting things this movie didn't really even scratch the surface on but yeah i don't know is there anything guys is there anything else that we didn't really touch on with it you have any thoughts or that i that i forgot to ask you about or any other uh, tidbits about the movie that you wanted to point out or anything like that um one other thing uh that really kind of struck me yeah was uh, the last scene where they're in the, like, the safe house, or where um, where the dog? Or okay, I can't remember her name. Melanie uh, Melanie Laurent. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she, yeah, where she's put, where they're putting Eichmann under, and he's trying to provoke uh, Oscar Isaac, and he just goes on that that one rant, the one like vicious, fanatical rant he gets in the movie, where you know he goes in, goes in on Oscar Isaac, and it's just like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna have me killed. Congratulations, my life is you know, worth six million of your sisters, basically, right. or six million Jews, you know, good job, congratulations. And I was like, that scene really got me. I was sitting there in the theater, like, clenching my fist. Like, I, it made me, like, angry. I'm like, so, I, I mean, I thought Ben Kingsley, that was, I, he did a great job with that. Yeah, so he does drop the facade at one point. We were kind of saying, I, I guess we forgot about to mention that earlier when we were talking about how he doesn't, he never really does go all out and be, like, as vitriolic as you would think a Nazi might be, but I guess because he has held it all in that does might really strike you. I don't know if you had any any kind of reaction to that Fred, but I'm glad Adam thought to mention that. Yeah, but I also think he had a very specific goal in mind. I think at that point he might have almost wanted 
Oscar Isaac to kill him because he was going to go back on trial. He was going to be executed more than likely. So that would have been a victory for him at that point if he had been killed. Mm -hmm. um, because the spectacle of seeing him uh, defend himself and everybody is pointing fingers at him, I don't think that is something he was necessarily all that um, no. willing to go through. So yeah, I, I think I, I, that that's part, part of his reasoning for that. But I also think Ben Kingsley is just very good at playing these types of scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, he del he really delivered on that. I mean, this is a guy who played Gandhi at one point. Yeah, it is kind of insane. He's like gone really literally opposite ends of the spectrum, Gandhi and a Nazi. That, that's some range. That's definitely some range. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, guys, I think I I I I don't want to take any more of your time because I think we uh we pretty well covered this. It's it, would you? It sounds like we would all like. I mean, for over the next few weeks, since it's not that crowded, it seems like while none, neither none of us are like, "Oh my God, this is our favorite movie of the year," we wouldn't necessarily like discourage someone from checking it out because we all think there's probably something you can take from it. Would that sound about fair as far as where we all are on this one? I'd agree with that. Yes. Yeah, that sounds about right. I I, I thought it was fine. It was a I en I enjoyed the two hour movie, and I probably won't ever watch it again. <laughs> well, uh, well, I, I I appreciate the time, and I appreciate uh, you guys helping me get through this these few, last few weeks before we finally get back into Oscar season. So, uh, before we head out, Fred, uh, you want to plug your letterbox or anything like that? Yeah, certainly. So uh, please do follow me on Letterboxd. I post fairly regularly. Um, the name is uh, Fred Kolb, F R E D K O L B, as in boy. Adam, you got to plug Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, sure. If you want to follow me for. Uh fun local sports news or angry rants about how bad the Gator football team is, you can follow me at, uh, at A.B. Lichtenstein, A-B-L-I-C-H-T-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. -E -E My last name is long enough that I almost misspelled it myself. Yeah, so, uh, and for those of you, when Adam says local sports, he means uh, Broward County in uh, South Florida. So uh, if any, any of my listeners happen to be in that area and care about uh, local sports, Adam will, it will soon have a lot of good content coming on his Twitter feed uh, with regard to that stuff. And as usual, I'm Letterboxd. I'm at Josh Jernavoy, or no, Twitter, I'm at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. But same thing, but two words on Letterboxd. And Adam, Fred, thank you guys so much for joining me again. I, um, I know this is kind of like heavier subject matter and maybe not as fun as like Fred and I do in Mission Impossible or as uh, – <laughs> Eighth grade, uh, or eight, eight, I, yeah, eighth grade is. I don't know. I don't even. Know, eighth grade is fun. Like I, I obviously a more, I mean, more pleasant subject matter, but still equally horrifying at certain points. I'd say uh, there's that, that that one scene in eighth grade might have been scarier than anything in this movie. Well, um, oh, spoilers. I still want to see that one. Right. Oh, you definitely should see it. Right. So, uh, yeah, the, Fred, there are there is some pretty uh, scary stuff in there for a movie about uh, middle schooler. But uh, I like, an eighth, like the eighth grade band. Right. So I hope to have you guys back um, in uh, sometime during Oscar season to talk about something that maybe is going to make a little more noise during awards time. So I look forward to that. Thank you guys for joining me. And uh, stay tuned for next week. I will probably have something coming out on a simple favor. And who knows, maybe I'll find someone that wants to talk about Predator. But maybe he's not getting the best review so far. So we'll see. But uh, stay tuned for more, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.